Well, it is good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be in uh, the house of the Lord, which is actually His people. This is just a building we are in, but you all, myself, we are God's house, temples of the Holy Spirit. So I'm thankful um, to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 19 momentarily. I do have a a, a moment uh, before we pray I do and and read the scripture, though I do want to, by way of introduction, I would like to go ahead and look at uh, uh, a a few thoughts. So if I was going to try to sell you something, and there were conditions on it, and I really wanted you to buy it, and maybe I wasn't so honest in a person. Would I put the fine would I put things in bold letters about all the conditions? Or would I put them in fine print? Have you seen those commercials where they tell you this miracle drug, this miracle cure, and at the end they're like blah 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 and there's like four thousand side effects and you're like, I do not know how in the world they can sell this thing, right? Well, the, the ultimately advertisers tell you the wonderful things about their products but they usually don't tell you all the things that aren't so great about their products. They try to hide that. But you know, Jesus isn't like this. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells us that the life of a Christian is not a life of rainbows and unicorns, but the life of a Christian is a life of suffering. And I have a question for you. How often is this taught in the church? You invite your neighbor in and you say, Hey, come and die with me. Jesus said, If you'll follow me, you must take up your cross. Right? Take up your cross. An instrument of death. That is not the greatest line to feed someone if you want them to follow Jesus, is it? Who came here this morning to hear about suffering? Probably none of you. I mean, maybe I told you that, but you're not like, oh goodness, I'm really excited about hearing a sermon about how my life as a Christian is one of suffering. Probably not, right? So, here's what I want us to think about. It's not a popular message, but it is the message that is found in the Scripture and is is the message that I have for you today. It is the message and it is in the Word of God. And I believe that this message should even lead you to worship Jesus this morning. So today we're going to see that suffering is part of the journey of a disciple of Christ. For me to tell you to come and follow Jesus and not tell you what Jesus said about suffering is disingenuous and is wrong. That's why Jesus said what he said in the passage that Aaron just read in Matthew 5, isn't it? He actually told you that you should be happy if you suffer. Blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Like, that doesn't make me happy. But Jesus said it should. So... We're going to talk a little bit about why that's the case. But I want you to tell you that today that what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I want to share one of the biggest neglected doctrines that's found in the church. 
the doctrine of suffering. So you've heard this apology, perhaps, here, of why I'm giving a defense of why I'm preaching on this topic. So now I want to start with the question, how valuable is Jesus to you? How valuable is Jesus to you? What would you give or sacrifice for Christ? He gave everything for you. He left heaven. He left his glory. He came to earth. He took on the form of a servant. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He lived a life of poverty. He lived a life of suffering. And then he was crucified and buried for you and for I. Western Christianity has demolished this truth. Demolished it. By not talking about suffering. It is basically said, follow Jesus and everything can be fine. Or, as some false teachers say, you can have your best life now. That is a blatant lie. The Bible teaches this is actually your hardest life now. Your life now is a training ground, and training is hard for eternity. This is what the Bible teaches. It isn't that follow Jesus and everything is going to be fine. No, no. In the West, we think that suffering is strange, right? We avoid it and we are outraged by it when we see it in our culture, if, if we see it. We think of suffering as someone's snide comments or being flipped off as you drive your car and the bumper sticker says, Jesus is my homie on it. This is what we, and so, or we, this is what happens. And we think that's suffering. Now, you know, maybe in a low grade, but you should probably think about what your witness is. If you're going to be driving and have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my homeboy, you should figure out how to drive properly. So, I, the Eastern Church gets suffering, don't they? When an convert to Christianity from Islam comes to know Christ, they lose their family. They lose their family. And they might even lose their life. Stories like this abound. It's not easy in the East, in the global world. Perhaps Europe and um, United States, we have it pretty easy. Now, I'm not saying that if we aren't persecuted in the West at all, that we're not persecuted here. I'm not saying that we aren't at all. And I'm not saying that the things that we experience sometimes in this world are not persecution at all. But what can we really say when others are being tortured? When others have given up everything and when others have lost their life? This is suffering. And we know practically nothing of suffering in the West. Losing all, people telling you to get out of your house or die. So we need to wake up to the reality of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We should expect suffering. And we should rejoice in real suffering for Jesus' sake. And know that our souls are safe in Jesus' hands. So let me give you a quick background of Peter. Peter wrote this book from what he calls Babylon, which is essentially Rome, a cryptic name for Rome. The letter was probably written somewhere around 63 to 64 AD, and it was written to a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles. 
in the Roman provinces that were all around Asia Minor. And Peter wanted to prepare Christians for persecution that was coming so they could testify to the true grace of God and stand firm in that grace. So he encouraged them to rest in God's purposes, trust in his plan, and remember the costliness of their redemption, the reality of the truth of God's promises and the privilege of being God's people, the example of Christ, and the certainty of God's ultimate triumph. The audience of Peter was in danger of losing their way. They were being tested through suffering. And what they were experiencing was different from anything that they'd experienced when they first believed. Because the Roman government was cranking up the persecution, the suffering notch. To answer this dilemma, Peter essentially reassures them of the gospel. They've been given new life. Their sins have been forgiven. They are in God's hands in the present, and their future is sure. The gospel shows them how to live and equips them in the present to prepare for eternity. So Peter tells them that suffering is part of their journey of faith. It tests the seriousness of their discipleship, links them with other believers, and will be vindicated on the day of judgment. So they must view themselves as strangers here, a part of God's family, and on their journey home to heaven. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God in that name. Glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen? Father, would you take this word and would you let us see the truth that is in it, the truth that it proclaims? Would you help us to see the reality of that Jesus told us that if we suffer, that we should be happy because we, are, we have been blessed. We are happy. And so we pray that you'd help us to see why this is true. And most importantly, that we would worship Jesus Christ to your glory, Father, in the power of of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point is that we should rejoice in suffering. Why? Well, because it is to be expected. So, now, when you think about suffering, there are actually a few different reasons why we suffer. First, we bring it on ourselves. This happens when we do things that are wrong, that are foolish, and simply ridiculous. An example is when you break the law by speeding and getting a ticket. That's suffering. But you did it to yourself because you sped. Another is when we are nasty people. If you're not a nice person and then people aren't nice to you, well, that's suffering. But you caused it. So you might want to try to be nice. Second... There's experience or trouble in the world, so suffering in the world. This is when we end up experiencing the results of a broken world, of a sinful world. It could be a physical ailment, 
the death of a loved one, or the onset of a disease, and the suffering that comes along with it. Third, from the outside by means of oppression. Now think of this as wars. You didn't do anything, but the foreign nation is invading you, let's just say. And so this type of thing can happen by foreign powers. But the fourth suffering is persecution for the name and for the sake of Jesus. So this is when, because you are associated with Jesus, you are mistreated, attacked, ridiculed, mocked, or experienced financial or social ramifications for being of or in Christ. When we are hated and experience what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, reviling, persecution, and evil lies against us on Jesus' account. Think of Eastern Christians who lose their homes or are killed, or are tortured, or are put in prison. So think of this. Another example of this might be a neighbor or coworker who is making stuff up about you to make your life miserable, to get you fired, or to bring pain and suffering in your life simply because they know that you are a Christian, that you are a follower of Jesus. None of these sufferings should surprise us. Why? Because three of the four of these are related to sin, either ours or others, or just general in sin. These are the consequences of our rebellion against God, mankind's rebellion against God. And so, but what about the fourth, being persecuted for Jesus' sake? Should that surprise us? Well, the answer to that question is no, it shouldn't. But why? First off, Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he also says that all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You see, we will suffer because it is simply the reality of this life. It is baked into the natural order of things because the natural order has rebelled against God. All the prophets spoke of God's reign through Jesus, and Jesus spoke of his reign in the coming kingdom, and he spoke of repentance and faith, reliance upon God, and living life as God designed, loving and obeying God, but the world doesn't want that. Who wants to be told what to do? You understand this? Christ, obeying Christ is, we proclaim that he is Lord. He is creator. He is master. Who wants to be told what to do? And that you're not in charge, that I'm not in charge. Nobody does. That's part of the reason why the world doesn't like the message. They killed Jesus for simply being who he was and doing what he did. Christ, who is God himself, suffered and was glorified, so why should we not experience the same thing if we're his people and are supposed to be saying the same message that he said? It simply is the way that it must be. If we are shocked by it, we've actually missed a thread that runs through the whole of redemptive history. So Peter tells us that we should expect a fiery trial. This could be understood as seasons when we will lack what we need, the strength to do it, and even the feeling of being protected. 
It can be physical or verbal persecution because of the reality of your discipleship. It could even be the attacks of Satan, or it could even be the pain of death because we follow Christ in a world that doesn't share Christ's values. And we live in a world where Satan is, in a way, in charge. I know that Jesus is ultimately in charge, but Satan is spoken of to be the prince of this world. And he controls the powers, and he, they wrestle against God. And so, we are enemies of the prince of this world. So what do you expect? You're enemies of the prince of the world! What, what do you, what, what is, what's going to happen to you if you're his enemy? You think he's just going to sit idly by? Be like, oh, that's fine. Enjoy your merry little life. Oh, he hates you. He wants you dead. He doesn't even just want to hear you suffer. Because if you suffer well, then you can glorify Christ. He'd rather kill you. But thanks be to God that we see in Job that God said, no, you can't take Job's life. You can do all sorts of other stuff to him to test him, but you can't take Job's life. He wants to neutralize you and me. Peter wants us to realize that persecution is part of following Jesus. Are we being persecuted? If not, why not? Second point, we should, at this point, we should really look at, well, I'm gonna, let, me, let me expand this verses 12 to 16 a little bit more. It really allows us to identify with and experience Christ. Why should we rejoice? Well, first, Jesus tells you to. So that's one good reason. Your Lord tells you to rejoice. Number two, we identify with Jesus learning to be like him. His suffering draws us close to him. The suffering that we experience draws us close to him. We also get to be a part of the most joyful of all things, seeing God honored. We honor God as we suffer because we practice solidarity with God. You know what solidarity is? is. It's the idea of you're joining in. It's like, those are my people. That's my people. You're joining in with God's message like that. And then we can honor God because he will vindicate our suffering. Your suffering is not worthless. It's not. Our suffering is extremely precious for it allows us to participate in the koinonia of Christ. That's the Greek word for fellowship. When you think of fellowship with Christians, you think of like sitting down, you know, maybe having some chips and salsa, hanging out, enjoying time, right? Wonderful time with your, with your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus says, that that's what suffering gets you. Imagine in your suffering, sitting down with Jesus next to you and having a good time. And you're like, whoa, 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 come on. That's like completely unrealistic. Is it? Have, how many missionary stories have you read? Have you ever read the missionary stories like Fox's Books of Martyr? And Christians are in the fire, melting, singing praise to God? How? How? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fire and God miraculously protects them and they are dancing with Jesus. That's a picture of a koinonia, of the fellowship that you have when you suffer with Jesus Christ. When you experience the same sufferings as Christ for the same reasons as Christ, Christ comes and makes himself especially present in your life. We, being righteous in Christ, are persecuted by the wicked, and so we represent Christ and we identify him as his people. In fact, we are told we should rejoice a whole bunch in our suffering. Did you you see that in the passage? It says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. That's like, really, really rejoice. Not only should you rejoice, but you should rejoice and be happy too. This, it it blows my mind. Because what's going to happen is the glory of Christ is going to be revealed in your suffering. You get to show Jesus when you suffer. We have the Spirit of God resting upon it. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you know what this is? It gives me goosebumps. This is the Shekinah glory. This is the glory of God coming in the cloud and resting upon his temple, upon his people. You as God's temple, when you suffer, you have the Shekinah glory, the glory of God resting on you. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain and his face was glowing? This is the kind of thing that you get when you suffer for Christ. You get the presence of the very of Christ himself through the Holy Spirit on you. The spirit of glory is the spirit of God. The glory is the presence of God among his people by his spirit. So in persecution, God's spirit rests on us just like the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. But how can we do this? How? Our natural desire is to just avoid all suffering, isn't it? We must trust in Christ's power and his judgment. The only way to bear suffering is to know that Christ is with us and will sort it all out in the end. He will bring the judgment that is deserved on those people at the right time in the right way. But usually we feel all alone during suffering. We say, where's God? We wonder where he went into and basically if he still cares for us. We feel abandoned in our time of need when we suffer persecution, don't we? But this is the farthest thing from the truth. When we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus' Spirit rests upon us. You ever wonder, you ever, you're like, you know, when I first got saved, I just felt the presence of God. Just don't really feel it too much anymore. You know, you ever feel that way? Well, persecution might bring that feeling back. I'm not saying you should just go out and seek persecution. But I'm telling you, as you tell people about Christ, as you live for Christ in a world that hates him, you will be persecuted. And if you understand the proper idea about suffering, 
you might just find yourself experiencing His joy and His presence, which is probably what all of us want. But Peter tells us in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. So here's the point. It's easy in the West to think that we are being persecuted when we type some nasty Christian Facebook post. Right? Like some really harsh thing. And then we get a million comments about all those people that say, you're such an idiot and you're backwards and everything else like this. I'm not saying you can't ever post on Facebook. That's not what I'm saying. But if you post something on Facebook and you get nasty comments, is that really persecution? I don't know. I probably, it might be light persecution if you do and say something that is appropriate, that is gentle but true, that has real value, right? It has real things on it. And then you get comments like that from people who you thought were your friends. I mean, they're concerned because I say that's low grade suffering, low grade. But if you, we all know, we all know. Murderers, thieves, and evildoers, they suffer. Here's what Peter's saying. Listen, don't kill anybody. And, you know, you can avoid suffering that way. Don't steal stuff. And don't do evil deeds. I mean, this, is, this makes sense. As a Christian, don't do bad things. If you do bad things as a Christian, immoral things as a Christian, you can expect trouble in your life. But there's another word in there called meddler. What does that mean? So what is a meddler? This is like, in my opinion, the bumper sticker that says, you're going to hell without Jesus. If you have that, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you. But... That's kind of a meddler. You have no relationship with that people. You're, you're telling people. It's like going to work and non-Christians and telling them all the immoral ways that they break God's law. That's being a meddler. They don't know Jesus. Jesus' commands, though they apply to all humanity and they should obey them for a better life, they have no reason to obey them because they don't know God. So your neighbors and your friends and all these other people since they don't know God, they're going to live immorally. So if you go to your work coworker and start telling him all the ways that he's immoral and all these things that he should do and shouldn't do, that's being a meddler. Peter tells us earlier in chapter 3, he says, set, sanctify or set apart Jesus as Lord, as Yahweh, in your heart and always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. What Peter's setting forth, I think, is an apologetic of living a godly life, not meddling in other people's affairs and telling them and blasting them with a bunch of, with your bullhorn and simply looking and living the truth. And then when you have an opportunity to reach into their life because their life is hard and they're asking you questions, then you share the hope that is in you. I really do believe that that's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, because if you go around with a bullhorn and you get put in jail and you say that's being persecuted, that's kind of like a meddler. Now, there's a lot of good people who love Jesus and want to do that and they're proclaiming the gospel I'm not saying necessarily that they're doing anything wrong, but I, 
This is a free country. There are ways to tell people about Jesus without a bullhorn. There are ways to do it gently and lovingly. And I think Peter is getting at that. You can put, you can put yourself into persecution by the things that you say. By the way that you say it. By digging into people's lives when they aren't ready and don't have a relationship with you. Is the harsh Facebook post meddling? Maybe. Maybe. You know, you have to have your clean conscience before God and do that. I get it, right? I'm not telling you you can't do that. But the way that you say things is just as important as what you say. So our suffering must not be done for unlawful activities, evil deeds, or just simply being a busybody, getting into other people's business. We are told not to do things that will produce suffering. Rather, our suffering should come because God brings it so that we can participate in Christ and glorify Him. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What's the point of suffering? To glorify God. So, don't do things that produce suffering on purpose. Bearing the suffering of Christ for his name and his sake should not be something we are ashamed of, even if the whole world, though, is told of our rebellion against it. Rather, we should glory in it. it should, we, in, we should glory in being counted worthy to bear the name of Christ through our suffering. We share in a special bond with Christ. When you suffer, you share a special bond with Christ because his life was suffering. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When you suffer for Jesus, you share a bond with him. Peter tells us in verse 16 there that we honor Christ. We don't need to be ashamed. We honor Christ. Our main purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so when we suffer, it brings Christ's glory and so fulfills our ultimate purpose. We don't need to be ashamed when we are doing what we were made to do. But verses 17 to 18, I want to tell you now that you, this is my second point, we should not fear suffering. It's going to go a little faster at this point. Here it says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What is this judgment that is beginning in the church? The judgment that, that, that we're talking about here is the reality of what separates the true from false believers and purifies the true believers. We experience trials and suffering to purify us. It proves our loyalty to Jesus. It judges our commitment to, the, to God versus the world. When we stand firm, committed to God, our dross is burned off. We are purified and proven to be disciples of Jesus. And so if we as Christians are purified by trials, how terrible will it be for those who aren't found in Christ? One commentator said this, the righteous are saved only by grace 
and not without sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We enter the kingdom through many hardships and through a process of spiritual growth that requires exertion. You see, the life of a Christian isn't and shouldn't be easy. It will be a process of judgment against our love of self and our love of the world. You understand that this world is, and what happens, the judgment in the house of God is the judgment against your love, my love of self, and your love, my love of the world. That's where the judgment comes. And he says, who do you really love? But woe, really, I I guess... I would say this one more thing. The life of a Christian, essentially, it's this process of getting, getting rid of that dross and clinging to Jesus. That's what the suffering does. Makes you cling to Jesus tighter. But woe to those who are not being judged through refining and purifying. That's what Peter's saying. They're going to be judged by God. God is purifying us, but he will judge them at the last day. Our suffering has a purpose. It draws us close to God. The suffering of the wicked has a purpose, but actually it's to expunge them and remove them from the country of God where they dwell in outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of those who hate God love death and will externally experience it. Now, verse 19 We should entrust our souls to Christ. Listen to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We are to entrust ourselves and to put ourselves under the care of our creator and sustainer, who, according to John chapter 1, is the creator. The beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on and says that he created all things. All things were created through the Word. And so, essentially, we are to bow to his will or desires and go through the trials of purification with joy, knowing that his will is best and his plan is best for us. We are not going to experience our best life now, but our hardest life now. Our suffering is a means of bringing us to conform to the image of Christ. This is our joy, and this is our desire. So we suffer according to God's will when we suffer as Jesus suffered. When we say like Jesus did, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it says, it's according to God's will. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer a little bit, doesn't it? Your will be done but you have to entrust your soul to Christ. Is he going to be with you? Do you believe it? Is this, Peter's, is this text true? I hope you believe that. Because this text tells us that the glory of God will rest upon us if we suffer. It tells us that Jesus will be with us when we suffer. So let's apply this. What does this practically mean? Avoid evil and glorify Jesus by your good works. Love God, love others, keep his commands. Don't be caught by the world doing evil. Don't do evil. You're going to get persecuted for doing evil. For stealing, you're going to go to jail. We're going to misdemeanor and have to pay it back. Who knows? Who knows? 
Don't be caught by the world. Instead, be caught holding Christ up as Lord. You need to be caught living as if Christ is your Lord. That's what you need to be caught for. Be ready to give a defense for that hope that's in you, Jesus Christ. In other words, let your life demonstrate your belief in Christ as he lives in and through you. Then share the good news of Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the ascension, his imminent return. Expect suffering and only try to avoid it by avoiding evil. You see what Peter's getting at? Okay. If you want to avoid evil, or if you want to avoid suffering, the best you can do as a Christian is to avoid doing evil. The rest, you live for Christ, and then you'll experience the suffering as God wills it. So you avoid evil to avoid the most suffering. And the rest of the suffering is whatever suffering Christ counts you worthy to to, to be a part of. And so, embrace suffering and know that God's special presence is with you as you bear fiery trials for Christ's name. Finally, entrust yourself to Christ who is the keeper of your soul. He is not doing bad things to you, but rather he is manifesting his glory, the Shekinah glory, you. You will need to cry out to him in your suffering and ask him to give you the strength to bear it. And so, I leave you with full disclosure instead of fine print. This is full disclosure. Enter the blessedness of Jesus by embracing a life of suffering for him. And in so doing, you will experience the spirit of glory and you will have God rest upon you. Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, we do pray that you would allow us to entrust our souls to you as we suffer. Count us worthy to suffer for your name and for your sake and give us the grace to do so so that we might experience your presence in all its fullness. We love you and we thank you for all that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.